Good morning, church family. It's great to be with you in a virtual capacity. And I tell you, I'm really looking forward to getting with you all in a physical capacity a little bit later. And, and I say, I say with you all, with, with you ever is led to come and be a part of that church in the park. I, I want to encourage you if, I guess two things. If you plan on attending that church service in the park, please, number one, please go to your email, open up that attachment. Now, not right now. We're about ready to get into our Bible study, but after service, go to your email, open that attachment, read that attachment. I just, it lays out what we're doing. It lays out how it's going to go. And I just want you all to have read that. I hope you're on our email list. If you're not, email me and I'll send it to you. But number two, if you feel, hey, it's still not time for me to lead my family out amongst some of these other circumstances and be a part of that church in the park. Know that we already love you. We, we already support you. We're already for you. And you're a part of this church family as a whole. So I just don't, no pressure, no, no expectations. You be led by the Spirit. And, and in time, I know we'll all get to, to corporately gather. But just please know that. That's our heart to you. If you can make it, if you can't make it, we're, we're excited about it. So I want to get to our Bible study. We're Exodus chapter 23. We've got some great text in front of us. So pray with me as we open up our our time in, in the Word of God. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, as we've spent the past several weeks talking about this message that you, God, speak to your people. Father, it's astounding. It's amazing. It's life changing. And Father, we come before you and, and God, you're so holy. You're so awesome. You're so gracious and you're so merciful. And and Father, we want to take your word and we want to receive it for what it is. Life-giving, life-sustaining. It's a path for us to walk. And Father, it brings us to that awareness of how much we need you, Jesus. How much we need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. But God, I just pray that you would teach us, bring illumination to the depths of our soul. Take this word and plant it deep, deep, deep inside of our hearts. Father, let it be the foundational floor upon which we base our lives, upon which we base how we're called to live. Father, let us see you in the text. Come be the teacher. Anoint my lips with your Holy Spirit to teach your precious people your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we get back to to chapter 23, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to finish this out. And we're really seeing kind of the concluding remarks that God is bringing to Moses as he's speaking to Moses, but really with intention of making sure everyone hears this message. But I was kind of reading through this and I was trying to look at this thing as a whole. It's pretty fascinating because it reminds me of some of the things I learned in college. Now, there's a lot of things I I learned then in college I don't recall, but this is one that I do remember. And for you listening, hey, here's a free, here's some free college lessons here. I, I remember taking a business writing class, and I remember being taught how to write a request letter. And I remember that the letter needed to have an introduction. You, you needed to tell the reader who you are. It needed to have a body paragraph, which is telling the reader why you are writing the letter in the first place. What's it about? And then it needs to have the actual request, what you want the reader to do. What, what are you asking for? Now, interestingly enough, as we have gone through the past three and a half chapters in the book of Exodus, God has kind of followed that pattern, right? It all began with an introduction when the Lord said back in Exodus chapter 20, verse two, he says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the one who delivered you out of bondage from the house of oppression out of Egypt, right? The Lord says, just so you all know who's talking here, I am the Lord, your God. I'm the one who is talking. So he gave us an introduction and then we've seen the body of the letter. We've had God saying, this is what it's all about. I I want you to love me in this way. I want you to love your neighbor in this way. I want you to receive these things as from me. I want you to apply them because I've asked you to apply them. This is what I want. This is what God both desires and deserves from his people. That's what the past three and a half chapters have been about. But this last half chapter this morning comes our last section, these concluding remarks or the request, right? What does God want his people to do? How does God want his people to do it? What is it going to look like if they do, when they do, or what is it going to look like if they don't? All of that is in the verses that are ahead of us this morning. Now, while it's been kind of fun, maybe in an introductory way for this message to talk about this in comparison to a business letter, 
God is not writing a business letter to his people. God is making a covenant agreement with his people. What this is really about is a covenant agreement. And when you talk about a covenant agreement in an Old Testament capacity, there are going to be blessings that come with obeying it. And there are going to be curses, consequences that come with disobeying it. And anytime you cut a covenant in this day, even that phrase, cut a covenant, you would take an animal and you would cut it in half. Yeah, that's how you would do it. And you would walk through, both parties who are making the covenant agreement would walk through the middle of that animal signifying, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, you're going to be like this animal cut in half, right? They're understanding what is being made. And that's really what God is doing here in these last few verses of chapter 23, these concluding remarks. He's saying, I want you to make sure what's at stake. I want you to make sure what I'm asking you to do. Moses, make sure you tell this to the people and Moses will be faithful to do just that. But these are God's concluding remarks. We're able to see four amazing things that God wants his people to know. Four amazing things that God is giving to encourage his people to help them keep the covenant that he is making with them. And that covenant, remember being God saying, I will be your God, you will be my people. God has already kept up his end of the bargain. He's brought them here. He's done all those incredible things, but now it's their turn to hear and then their turn to respond and obey. So here's how we're going to do this. We're just going to read the rest of the text, verses 20 through 23, a few verses in 24, but we won't exposit 24 until next week. And then we'll loop back and, and point out those four points. So picking up where we left off last week, Exodus 23, verse 20 says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. I will annihilate them, God says. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. You shall serve the Lord, your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Verse three. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So there's, there's God's concluding remarks here as, as he completes this incredible message for his people. Now we're going to break this into four amazing things, a four point kind of discussion this morning. So jumping right into point number one is found in verses 20 through 23. And God is ultimately saying, you will not have to do this alone. 
Point number one is you will not be alone. And I love that because God has laid out a whole lot of stuff, right? Heavy stuff, detailed stuff, and abundance of things that he wants his people to do. But the first thing God is wanting his people to know, you won't have to do it alone. And I love that because God is going to strengthen us to be able to do what he's calling us to do. That's still so true for us today. But look at what he says. The journey, the conquest that I'm going to send you on, I will be with you. He says, he says, behold, Moses, behold, stop, listen with wonder. Behold, I will send my angel before you. Verse 20 says, and I want you to see, at least in my Bible, the word angel is capitalized. If you go in verse 21 and 22, you're going to see him and his is capitalized. Verse 23, my angel is capitalized. And God says of this angel, my name is in him. The power to pardon sin, to pardon transgression is in him. We all want to know who is this angel? This angel sounds somewhat very, very important. Who is it? Who is God referring to? And church, the answer is Jesus. This is what is called a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus pre-incarnate, an appearance of Jesus before he has clothed himself in humanity, born on that first Christmas day in Bethlehem, right? Jesus existed before that. Here is some proof and some evidence. It's a Christophany. This isn't some just ordinary angel. I mean, listen, as if there's just an ordinary angel, right? But this is, this is Jesus. This is the Lord God himself. And, and we need to know this because it's important for, for our understanding. Jesus existed before he he came to clothe himself in humanity, to take on the form of a bondservant, to walk this life, walk on the earth he created, die on a cross, rise from the grave, ascend to the right hand of the Father. Before he ascends, kind of finishing the work that he came to do, he had first descended because he existed before. He's the all-existing one. We're gonna look at a few verses just because this is very, very important for us to understand. John chapter one, verses one and two, the first reference for I want us to see this morning. John says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now we're going to see in a minute, clearly the word is speaking of Jesus, but just notice what this says. In the beginning was the word. He was there. He existed. He is. He was with God. He was God. He is God. Speaking of Jesus, the second member of the Trinity. Now, just so we can be very, very clear, we know this. 13 verses later, John 1, 14, John says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Jesus added humanity to his deity, added human nature to his divine nature. That's what we call the incarnation. That word means to take on flesh. Jesus added flesh to his deity. For that time during his earthly ministry, he's fully God and he's fully man. But again, for the point of our study here in Exodus chapter 23, Jesus existed before that he was with God at the beginning. He was there before the beginning. Look at this verse. This is Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in our Bibles. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. What did John say? Jesus was there at the beginning, which means he was there before the beginning. And how does, Jesus, how does God create? He, says, he speaks, or he says, let there be light. He speaks things into existence. And who's Jesus again? John 1.1 1, 1 says he's the word. He's the logos of God. So when God speaks, Jesus gets to work. Colossians 1 says, all things were made for him and through him and by him and without him nothing was made that was made, right? Jesus in the beginning, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus, the first and the last. I put several verses in your study guide to look at later, but in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ is its full title, the, the revealing of who Jesus really is. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. Something that God the Father says, which is attributing the 
the eternality, the all-existing capacity of both God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So again, I'm pointing all this out. You're saying, okay, I get it, I get it. Well, what I'm trying to point out is this is just showing this is Jesus and he existed beforehand. Now, someone in here may be saying, well, I, I'm not convinced. And I said, listen, good job for not being convinced. Don't just take my word for it because now we're going to look at the Bible and you're going to see what the word of God has to say. The attributes of this angel that God is telling Moses to behold, to look at with wonder. God says that this angel will be your guardian. God says he will keep you in the way, verse 20 says. So this angel is going to be a guide, a guardian for us. And when you think about that, that sounds exactly like Jesus. Jesus is going to say, what the Father gives to me, I'm able to keep. No one will be snatched out of my hand, Jesus says. He's our guardian. He's a guide. Jesus is able to keep us in the way the same way here. But this angel, he also says he's going to lead us as a guide. He says, I will bring you into the place that I've prepared, verse 20 says. So lead you, guide you, go before you again. Sounds just like Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. We were all like sheep going astray until Jesus calls us to himself and leads us. He, he guides us until he's going to bring us to the place that he's prepared for us. In John chapter 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And he's telling them, hey, I'm about to leave. He's preparing them for his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. He says, guys, I'm about to leave. And where I'm going, you can't follow me yet. You will. Hey, if I'm going to go prepare a place for you, trust me, I'm coming back and I'm going to get you. But then he says, but you know the way. And we love Thomas, or at least in this context, we love Thomas because Thomas is scratching his head and he's looking at the other disciples. And he says what everybody else is thinking. He says, um, um, Jesus, can you tell us what the way is again? Because what if we don't know what you think we know? We, we ought to know it, right? And that's when Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus is a guide, just like God says this angel is going to be to his people. He's going to guide, and he's going to lead them to the place that he's prepared for them. Just like what Jesus promises he's going to do for us. In verse 21, God says of this angel, beware of him and obey him. Give heed to him. Give him your ear. Listen, watch, follow, and obey. And we're summing that up to say, God is saying this angel is to be Lord. He's to be the one you obey, the one you follow, the one you submit to. He is Lord. And, and that is exactly like what we see Jesus, what we know to be who Jesus is. He's going to say, if you don't obey, if you don't follow, if you don't submit, God says, then there will be no pardon for your transgressions then there's going to be no forgiveness of sin. And just think about how heavy that is. But it's just absolutely true. If you reject Jesus, if you say, I'm not going to submit to Jesus, I don't need him to be Lord of my life, then what you've just done is put yourself in a place where you can't be forgiven. Right? You can't be forgiven unless you come to the only one who can forgive you. Right? There is no other name given under heaven to call on and be saved. Acts 4.12 tells. Again, all these are in your study guide. But I'm just pointing out, this is Jesus. This is characteristics of Jesus. As we move on, he's going to say that my name is in him at the end of verse 21. God connects the power of his name to this angel. My name is in him. We say, how would God be willing to do that if not this being Jesus? Later in John chapter 14, after Jesus kind of answers Thomas and says, hey, I'm the way, right? Here's the way, I'm the way. Philip's gonna, gonna pop up and say, all right, hey, while we're answering questions that we don't know, Philip says, um, Jesus, will you show us the Father? I mean, just, just show us the Father. Before you go, that's what we want to see, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have I not been with you so long that you don't know? You, you haven't seen it already? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's as if Jesus is saying, you don't see, his name is in me. I and the Father are one. I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Again, only something Jesus can say. So this, this angel that God is, is talking about here, it's, it's Jesus. It's pointing us to Jesus. If you're not convinced yet, there's still a few more. Verse 22, look at this. Look closely, he says, but if you indeed obey his voice, look at that, if you indeed obey his voice, who's his? The angel, capitalized, look. And do all that I speak. Did you catch that? Verse 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he 
will bless you and I will take away your sin. This he speaking of the angel and the I speaking first person of God, what he's going to do. How can God use titles like that interchangeably? And yes, this is Jesus, the son, unless, unless this is Jesus doing exactly what the father does. John 5 says the son can do nothing in, a, in and of himself, but what he sees the father do, that's what he does. The he and the I, the Jesus and the father, the son and the father in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, in perfect order, allowing these, te- these, these terms to be interchangeably in the same sentence, yet with perfect consistency. But verse 22, we got one more. Verse 22 says, if you obey him, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. What he's saying is, if you allow this angel, if you allow Jesus to be your commander, then God says, I will grant you victory. I will be an enemy to your enemies. I will be an adversary to your adversaries. In other words, he says, if you're for me, then I will fight with you. I will fight for you. And that part is very important because it's all about who are you for. When, when God's saying to the people, who are you for, you're going to have to decide. Remember, this is the concluding remarks about the covenant he's making with his people. And he's, he's later going to say, I'm going to put before you a decision, life or death, you choose. Blessing or cursing, you choose. Here's what he's saying. If you obey me, if you choose the blessing, I'll be your victory. If you say, I'm for you, God, I'm going to make a decision as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If we're for him, then he fights with us, then he fights for us. But it's in that capacity, and we we know this to be true because of what happens in Joshua chapter 5. Another reference verse I want to show you. Joshua chapter 5 says this, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot and for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Remember, in, in, in here in Joshua chapter 5, This is what God promised he would do in Exodus chapter 23, that he would go before them, that he would fight for them, that he would be their commander. And now as they're about to start the conquest in the book of Joshua, taking possession of what God has promised he would give them. Here is Jesus again, fulfilling what we see here. But the question is, Joshua says, hey, who are you for? Are you for us? Are you for enemies? And and, and Jesus says, no, because that's not the answer. It's who are you for, Joshua? And then what is the first thing he says is, worship me. You want to have the right relationship with God? You worship him. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself, all summing up what we've been talking about for the past three and a half chapters. But that's what God is concluding here. He's telling his people, this is who I am. This is what I will do before you. And and we can sum it all up. And point number one, you're not going to be alone. If you obey me, if you do things my way, here's what God promises he will do. And I just want you to know, Christians, the promise of God's presence means everything to me. It absolutely means everything to me to know that I'm not having to go it alone, to know that he's going to be with me until the ends of the age, to know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. That means everything to me. Because God calls us, just like he's called the people to do some things that, boy, they go against the current. They go against the grain of our culture. They are going to lead to persecution as we stand for the right things with the Lord, as we're for him. And then he fights for us and with us. But to know that he's going to be there, it means everything. So even what we're seeing here, that God has just promised his people, he's told them, I will guide you, I will lead you, I will lord over you, I will shepherd you, I will be your commander, I will be your very present help in time of need, I will be your assurance of victory. But you need to obey me, obey me. And that sets up what we're going to talk about for point number two. Point number two, it all hinges upon this. Verses 24 through 28. Point number two is obedience is the pathway to blessing. 
Obedience is the pathway to blessing. God warns them again in verse 24, you shall have no other gods before me. We, we talked earlier in, in weeks past, there are no other gods besides the Lord. There's just the Lord. He's the Lord God of heaven and earth. All these other false gods are just that, false gods. They're idols, things that have been made or created by human hands. And they're, they're worshiped at a deterrent, as a distraction away from the Lord, as something that pollutes the land and pollutes the very heart of the people who give themselves over to the worship of those idols. And that's what God is saying here. I'm driving them out of the land because that's what they're doing. But you, I've called you out. I've separated you. I've called you to be different. You are to be my people. I am your God. So be different. Overthrow those people. Drive them out. Don't don't let them imprint themselves upon you. Don't fall into their wicked works. He says that very clearly by saying, verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God. Obey him. Obedience is the pathway to blessing. But, But God says this here in verse 25. He says, if you do this, I will bless you. I will bless your bread. There will be no famine in the land. I will satisfy your hunger. I will be your daily bread. I will bless your water. There will be no drought in the land. I will satisfy your thirst. I will be living water to you. God says, I will heal you. I will take sickness away. I will be your wonderful physician. I will protect your unborn children. I will fulfill the number of your days. Again, if you obey me, if you obey me, if you keep these commandments that I've laid out before you. Now, friends, I believe God means exactly what he says when he says this. I will bless you. I will bless your bread. I will bless your water. I will take away all this sickness. I believe this is exactly what God would have done for his people had they obeyed him. But they're not going to obey him. We, we know the rest of the story. They're not going to. And God's going to work a redemption to bring his people back to himself. But I want you to understand, we're reading the closing remarks of a covenant statement God is making with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. This is the old covenant. And so we take verses like this and we understand this doesn't apply to us in the same way under a new covenant that has been brought to us by the broken body and the spilled blood of our Lord Jesus. We're under a new covenant. We're not under this covenant, which just means this. It does not mean that as we obey the Lord, we never get sick. It doesn't mean as we obey the Lord, our kids will never get sick. It doesn't mean we're never going to have any problems in this life. We're always going to have plenty of bread, plenty of water, right? That's not what this means. This isn't applying that in the same way. And listen, it doesn't mean that if we've gotten sick, if we've been been unable to bear children, if we've suffered a miscarriage, lost a child along the way, had someone near us die young, it does not mean we were disobedient and God is somehow bringing judgment upon us. That is not what it, it, what it means. That's, that's what it meant, meant here in this old covenant, but that's not what it means today. Now, there are still some applications that we can glean from this. God is still our daily bread, our source of living water, and the wonderful physician, and he absolutely heals. He still heals, sometimes physically, always spiritually, as we come to Jesus and we're healed of the, the greatest terminal disease we can be afflicted by, sin, he always heals that. You come to Jesus and he will forgive you your sin. He died on a cross removing sin as far as the east is from the west. He is Lord. He is Savior. But just understand kind of what's being said here. Don't take this out of context or try to apply this today. We can make some points just to know that in the new covenant obedience is still the pathway to blessing, but the rewards they don't look, they don't look exactly like this, do they? Think about the 11 remaining disciples. Add Paul in there as the 12, the 12 apostles. You do know they faithfully walked after Jesus. They are, they are foundational stones. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the apostles doctrine, foundational stones. You know, all but one of them died as martyrs for their faith. John, he, the only reason he didn't die is because he survived some of the great persecution. But they all suffered persecution. They all died. Think about some of the statements that, that Jesus makes when he tells us to store up your treasures in heaven. That He tells you to, to live for a kingdom, live for a place that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That this is not our home. We're, we're sojourner, sojourners and pilgrims passing through. Think about Jesus himself. Jesus, the author of the new covenant with with which we're under. He came, he's king, yet he came as a suffering servant. 
He came and learned obedience even to the point of death on a cross. He says things like this, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but Jesus, the son of man, doesn't have a place to lay his hat. Jesus said that. Every single time Jesus uses money as an illustration, he has to borrow it for somebody or tell Peter to go fishing because he doesn't have any. Because sometimes we we throw this thing all around. I think this whole prosperity, this material blessing is somehow connected with being obedient to the Lord. That is not always true. You know, it is true. When you obey the Lord, there is blessings. There's blessings like freedom. There's blessings like power. There's blessings like spiritual strength. There's blessings like prayers being answered. There's blessings like being salt and light in a dark culture and community that is reflecting such glory and such goodness that is drawing people to be saved, having their eternity changed. And those are the kind of blessings we want. That's the kind of blessings that I live for. Listen, I'm not saying if you have a house or you have a lot of things that God isn't blessing you, praise God for those blessings. But I'm also saying that it's not connected to all of those things. You be faithful with what what God has entrusted you as a stewardship and you give glory to him through it all. But don't think that all of this is, is stated here necessarily applies to us in the same way it does right here. This is old covenant, a different covenant that has become obsolete for us in Christ. A lot of application, but not the same exactly. But but as we move on here, the, the church here we experience some, some incredible things, but God has some, some different things that we're going to apply. But look at some of these other verses. Verse 27, speaking of the conquest that he's going to do, bringing the people into the land, he says they're going to take possession of what God has promised. How? He says, verse 27, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So God, and we're going to see this, we're going to see this as they get to Jericho. We'll see this in some of the other people in the book of Joshua as they're fearful. They're turning their backs and they're fleeing or they're trying to make deals. Some are just running in confusion. They don't even know why they're running. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those those videos. It's a gag, but if you've ever seen the video, it kind of shows somebody walking down the street and they, they don't know what's going on. Maybe they're talking on the phone. It's a normal day for them. But as soon as they run this corner, they're set up. There's a couple people set up to start running hysterically. And they're just going to start running, looking over their shoulders, screaming, run! And the person who has no idea what's going on sees them running and just most often not starts running too. Like next thing you know, they're running. They don't even know why. And they run for a little while. They're filming and then they stop like, why are we running? Oh, there was nothing. That, that, God says, that's what it's going to be like. Some people are going to run. They don't even know why they're running. They're confused. But verse 28 says, there'll be reasons to run too because I will send hornets before before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite. So God says, hornets. Now I was surprised to read commentary after commentary this week that kind of, that tried to go away from literal hornets here. They said, well, this is probably meaning maybe the Egyptian army and maybe there was a hornet symbol on them. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why would we think they're not literal hornets? Weren't they literal lice? Weren't they literal locusts? Weren't they literal flies? I mean, this is not outside the realm of possibility for God who created the whole realm, everything in the realm, right? I mean, he could use hornets if he wants. And I don't know when the last time you got stung by a bee or a wasp or maybe even a hornet, but it hurts, doesn't Asher, right? It hurts. And you're not going to just stand around being like, oh, that was fun. Maybe I should have that happen a few more times. That gets you running. So you either run for fear, you either run because everybody else is running, or you run because hornets are stinging you, but God is going to drive the people out. Now, we're, we're not going to see in their entirety, but what we are seeing God is going to open the door because he promised he would. But I want you to, I want you to catch this. Remember, the pathway, obedience is the pathway to blessing. This is going to happen as you obey the Lord. Now, as he starts to do this, I want you to see what he says. Verse 29, the Lord says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Now, I think God has to say that because as you're hearing this, you're thinking it's going to be instantaneous. You're thinking that you're just going to be able to casually walk your way into the promised land because, boom, instantly, everybody's going to be gone. But the Lord wants to make it clear. He says, I will not do this in one year. As if to say, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen quickly. It will take time by my design. God says, you're going to need to be patient. You need to trust that I will do it, but my timing might not be your timing. And that leads to point three in, in our study this morning. Verse, verses 29 through 31. Point number three is this. Little by little eventually becomes a lot. 
Verse 30, that's what he says. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and inherit the land. Think about how powerful this is that God is, is telling his people. He's setting their expectations right. But understand that the Lord is saying, the victory, it's yours. The assurance of the land that I'm giving you, the inheritance, it's yours. It's, it's all yours. I, I promise it, it's yours. However, you're taking a full possession of it. It will not all come at once. It's not going to come in the first year. It's not going to come in the second year. It will happen little by little. But I promise you, little by little eventually becomes a lot. As you continue to move forward with steady little progress. That was the video that we watched when we opened our study. Step by step, little victories at a time. Keep moving forward, eventually you look back and you're like, I'm on top of the mountain. God has done some incredible things. But that's what he's saying here. Eventually you're going to increase and I'm going to give it to you. And, and God lays out the borders in verse, verse 31 here. And this territory is huge. But he says, you're not going to get all of this territory. It's not going to be fully embraced. They're not going to possess these kind of borders until, until under the reign of Solomon, David's son Solomon, which is several centuries later. Now, some of that was due to disobedience. Some of that was just simply by God's design. God tells his people here that if I drive them all out immediately, verse 29 says, the land will become desolate and the beasts of the field will be too numerous. You'll have, you'll have too many predators to battle with. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this here for a purpose. Later in the book of Judges, chapter 3, he says, he says, I'm going to leave some of the people in the land. It says, the Lord did this to teach future generations how to wage war and win, how to trust the Lord, do things his way, and experience his victory. Think about that. It's all by God's design. He could drive them all out if he wanted to. But by his design, he knows what's best for us is little by little until eventually it becomes a lot. Day by day, walking with the Lord is what he does, how he teaches us in order to keep dependence upon him, to trust and obey and do things his way. So think about this. Victory is assured. It's going to happen, but it will not happen right away. It will take time. And that's such an important lesson for you and I as Christians. Because I don't know if this ever happens to you. I would venture a guess that it does. But you get discouraged sometimes. I get discouraged sometimes. When I think, why am I still struggling with some of these things? Why am I still having to deal with this difficulty in my life? Lord, I've surrendered this to you a thousand times. Why isn't it just gone? Why don't I just have complete victory and strength over all of these things? Why? And the Lord says, because I'm teaching you and I'm training you and little by little you're growing into the image of my son. Little by little I'm using this to keep you dependent upon me. I, I want you just to consider that if the Lord just did everything for us all at once. And again, I'm not talking, when we're saved, we are saved, we are fully saved. We are seated in the heavenly places we put our faith in Jesus. We're saved. I'm talking about now practical sanctification. I'm talking about walking in victory in this life, overcoming temptation, living as if we are, or living as we have been called to live. We don't always do that. Christians, let's be honest. We don't always do that. And we want to know how. How do we overcome some of these things? But Jesus is telling us, God is telling his people here, this is by design. Little by little, eventually becomes a lot. You keep moving. Keep charging after the Lord. Remember, you have victory in the Lord. You have overcome. Our faith has the power to overcome your spiritual progress. It's moving. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't stop trusting and abiding in the Lord. Don't stop believing every single morning that you wake up that God's mercies are renewed, that today's a brand new day to be able to, to be filled with the Spirit and walk with the Lord again. And you don't even have to wait until the morning. I love to think about if you're on the moon and how many times the moon is, is spinning around and how many mornings are on the moon. Like you can have different opportunities every single day to come to the Lord and have short accounts. But just understand, we are those who press on. Don't be someone that is remembered by the day you quit. Don't be someone who gives up because it got too hard. I came across a story this week that's pretty fascinating. One of the biggest boxing matches of the 20th century took place on November 25th, 1980. It was at the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. And it was a rematch between Sugar Ray Leonard and a boxer named Roberto Duran. Now, Duran had won the previous fight, and he was the favorite the second time around. He's the champion at this point, right? Sugar Ray Leonard, he's the challenger. 
But Duran has had 72 wins at this point, only one loss, and he had won his last 41 fights leading up to this fight, which is a very impressive boxing winning streak. But this rematch was really close. Only a point or two separated both of these fighters on the judges' scorecard. But then in the middle of round eight, the unthinkable happens. Duran just throws up his hands, walks over to the referee and says, no mas, no more, I'm done, I quit. I watched some YouTube clips on this and, and he's, he's battling. He's, he's a great fighter. The announcer's saying, look out for this guy. He's, he's got power. He's one of the strongest hitters, et cetera, et cetera. But he says, no more. And it wasn't because he was hurt. He wasn't injured. He wasn't cut. He was frustrated that he hadn't done enough in all of the previous rounds, that his little by little just hadn't been enough. And so he eventually just threw his hands and quit. And this is a guy that if you talk to someone who has some, some boxing acumen, you know he won 103 fights, that he, he's one of the best pound-for-pound hitters, his, his strength punchers, right? I'm not the best boxing acumen. But when you really talk to people, they say what you remember about him most is, is no moss, is the time that he quit, the time in this title fight that he, he gave up. And I just want you Christians, that's not what we're defined by. We're not defined by giving up. We are not those who turn back. We're those who press on. We're those who press into the Lord. And even though little by little may not be the lot by a lot, I promise you a little bit of progress gets you to the destination. You keep moving forward. So we've all had times like this where it's felt like we should quit our job or we should quit the sport we love or we should quit on our marriage or we should quit on life or we should quit on God. And I want you to know those feelings are not that uncommon. Jeremiah has feelings like this. He, he says, Oh, that my eyes were a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night. Jeremiah 9.1. Job says, Cursed be the day I was born. Job 3.1. Elijah says, Lord, go ahead and take my life. I'm finished in 1 Kings 19. Yet none of these men, none of these men are remembered by that day because none of them quit. They kept pressing on. They're part of that great cloud of witnesses that we can look to to testify that God knows what he's doing, that little by little eventually leads to a lot. Have the right perspective about the Christian life that we're living. It is a journey. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes time and progress. But when we walk with the Lord, we see that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Believe that. And I want you to understand this. When we put our faith in Jesus and we're born again, it instantly makes, instantly makes all the promises of God yes and amen. It's like God could say, the land, it's yours. Heaven, it's yours. Peace, acceptance, forgiveness, they're yours. But it's going to take some time until you fully possess that, until you can fully grasp, grasp that, just like he's saying here, that people are not going to fully take the land in one year. But as they walk in the victory, it's theirs, the promise is theirs, they just need to be patient. And I think that's what God is communicating to us. Be patient. Let the Lord have his perfect work. He will finish what he starts. Please remember that. Don't be someone who's remembered for the day you quit. Be remembered for the time that you pressed on in the midst of difficulty, the time that you trusted to Jesus when when it seemed like it was the hardest thing to do. God will see you through that, just like he saw those other three men, Job, Elijah, and Jeremiah. The last point we want to point out here is at the end of this, this chapter, verses 32 and 33, point number four is you will be tempted to do so, but I charge you now, no compromise. No compromise. This is a a powerful word from his people. God's final word in this message. He's going to tell them, don't settle for less than God's best. Don't fall into the snare that is making a covenant with the people of the land. Don't let them remain. Don't make peace with them. Drive them out. Now, someone is probably hearing this and thinking, well, wait a minute. Why not try to make peace with them? I mean, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? Why not try to coexist? I mean, I have a place on my bumper where I could put a sticker, coexist. Like, why not try to coexist? What is God's heart here? What is so wrong with that? God says right here, he says, because it will surely become a snare to you. If you allow these people to remain in the land, they will be a snare to you, which means you will be tempted more than you are able to bear. And eventually you will succumb to that temptation and turn to worshiping those false gods, those idols, at the very cost of following me and serving me and keeping the covenant that I'm making with you. 
That's ultimately what's going to happen. God knows this is true. The longer we allow something in our life that has the potential to cause corruption, temptation, allow, gives us the, the propensity to fall, the longer we allow it in our life, the greater the likelihood that that is actually going to happen. That's what God is saying. He knows our hearts. He knows the human condition. He knows that the longer you play with fire, eventually you're going to get burned. It was, it was fun when you were young. You'd try and pick up a coal in the fire. Like, oh, look, it's all fun and dandy. Yeah, you maybe you do it once or twice, maybe a few more. You will get burned, right? Everyone who plays with fire gets burned. But God knows that of his people. He knows that these people who are in the land, they're not going to repent. The vast majority of them, and they're not going to repent. They're not going to forsake all and come and follow the Lord. Listen, some will. Rahab will. I mean, certainly there will be others that are going to say, I want to follow the Lord God. I want to come and be a part of this kingdom community. Yes, certainly that's going to happen. But most of them won't. Most of them are not going to do that. Their time of judgment for what they've been doing, worshiping through sacrificing children, practicing sexual immorality, the worship of idols of wood and stone, they've got to go. It's time to repent. And the longer they keep them in the land, the more likely they're going to get caught up in that snare. So God says, don't compromise. Don't, don't give room for this to snare your own heart for your own good, for keeping my covenant. Drive them out. Drive them out. Send them, send them out of the land. It, it's like this. I imagine, you, picture you're, you're walking down a trail. You went for an early morning hike. And the sun's just riding. It's, it's beautiful. There's no smoke. So you're just loving being out there. And as you're walking around this corner, the sun is shining on this and you see something. You're like, oh, that looks like a weird stick. And then the stick moves and you're like, oh, that is not a stick. Upon closer observation, you see that's a rattlesnake. That's a rattlesnake in the middle of the trail. And you're thinking, you know, for me, I'd say, oh, no, I don't like snakes. Hike's over. I'll probably never hike that trail again because I saw a rattlesnake once. But, but maybe you, you're like, oh, I, bet I, can, I bet I can try and shoo the rattlesnake off the trail. And I'm not saying you should, you should do that, but hypothetically speaking, you say, I'm going to try that. So you get a stick and you got a rock maybe and you're like, I'm just, if I can just get this snake out of the way. And you're about to drop the hammer and the snake starts talking to you. And hey, don't think that's too strange. It's biblical. It's happened before. But this snake says, hey, hey, just just help me off the trail. Just move me off and you can continue down your, your hike this morning. And you're thinking, well, why would I do that? You're a rattlesnake. Why would I do that? And the snake says, hey, I promise I won't bite you. And you're like, well, I just got the heart rate up. I'd really love to finish this hike. So, so fine, I'll entertain the thought. So you bend down. You go to pick the rattlesnake up. You're just going to move it to the side of the trail. And wham, that, that rattlesnake bites you on the arm. You put it down and you're mad at the snake. You're like, why did you bite me? You told me you wouldn't bite me. The snake looks at you with a smirk on his face and says, you knew what I was when you picked me up. You knew I was a snare the moment you saw me. But you let me convince you to pick me up? That's what God is saying here. Don't be tempted to be able to make a compromise with some of the things in your life that you know are a snare. If I had a huge bear trap in the hallway of my house, I would not tiptoe around it every single day knowing that one wrong snap, bang, it's going to break my leg, right? Why would I do that? I would get rid of that snare. But Christians, how many of us are allowing these things that are absolutely clearly identified snares in our lives and we don't do anything about them? Like, oh, I'll deal with that later. Oh, I'm strong enough to overcome that. Listen, the longer you keep something like that in your life, the greater the likelihood that you're going to succumb to it. That's what God, the Lord of all creation, the one who loves us, the one who created us, says, I know what's best for you, and I know you need to drive these things out. I know you need to get rid of these things. Don't ever try to pick up a rattlesnake. Don't walk so close to the edge of the cliff that one tiny slip, you're going to fall all the way down. Don't allow things in your life that have been a problem in the past. If they've been a problem in the past, the, there's high likely they're going to be a problem again in the future unless you trust the Lord and remove those things. Those are snares, stones that cause stumbling. No compromise. If we're going to have our hearts after Jesus, as his people are going to say, as they say in chapter four, they say, Lord, all that you have said us, all the words of the Lord, with one voice they say, we will do. They say it, but yet they don't do what God has asked them to do. They don't take protection or set up guardrails or do what is necessary in order to keep themselves on the path. And we can learn from that mistake and we say we want to do that. So spiritually speaking, how many snares are we allowing in our lives? What are the snares? Are there any snares? 
Christians, please ask yourself this question. What is keeping me from obedience to Christ? What is keeping me from the freedom and the joy that I long to experience in Jesus' name? Why am I allowing those things in my life if they keep me from God's best? Why am I compromising in some of those areas? Please see what God's heart says. He says, drive them out. And as you kind of connect everything together this morning, purpose this in our hearts. Partial obedience just simply will not do. When God makes this covenant with his people, he's telling them all of these words are to be followed. But what does he say? He says, you're not going to be alone. I'll go before you. I'll teach you. I'll empower you. I'll strengthen you. I'll lead you, guide you. All of those things we talked about in point number one. We understand that obedience is the pathway to blessing. We want to obey. The heart is willing. The flesh can be weak. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And we have that. But then I want to keep going, even though little by little, eventually leads to a lot. I'm not going to get discouraged. One little step at a time. I know I'm moving forward. And then eventually agreeing, I know that, that there's no compromise. Jesus, I'm all yours. I've been bought with a precious price. I'm, I'm here to will and to do for your good pleasure. Jesus, you can have all of me. Christians, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that with me? That, that's my heart. That's what I see when I read this. That's what God's heart to, for his people are. Will you obey me? Will you love me this way? Will you love your neighbor this way? Will you, will you guard your own heart this way? I, I want this. And ultimately, it's because I want to grab a hold of everything that Jesus has laid hold of me to grab a hold of. I want the full possession. I want the full inheritance. I want to be everything God has called me to be. And it begins with applying these things to our lives. So I want you to just take an honest look this morning. I want you to take an honest look this week and let the Lord sift your heart in some of these areas. I want to do it God's way. I want to see God formed in me. I want to be free. If that's your heart, please, let's pray. Let's pray this in this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we know that as you share your word with us like this, as you've preserved your word with us for for such a time as this, God, our culture is telling us all sorts of different, different ways to do different things. But God, we're your church. We're your people. We've never looked to your culture, looked to this culture to tell us how to live or how to function. We look to you, Jesus. We look to your word. We listen for the still small voice of your Holy Spirit. And Father, everything that we just talked about, it resonates with your heart. It's in your word. And so Father, I pray against anyone, even my own heart, that wants to battle against some of these things or make exceptions or or try to make excuses of why some compromise in some area is okay. Father, I just pray that we would all just be convinced this morning that partial obedience is just not okay. We want a heart's desire that says, Father, all these things that you've told us, with one voice we say we will do. And in that same statement we say, Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We can't do this on our own. And we don't have to because you've given us power from on high. You've given us every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. You've given us the same power that raised Christ from the dead in the person of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, for your church, for all of us with hands raised, we pray, Father, fill us afresh and anew. Wash us white as snow. We, we bow before you. We worship you. And now fill us, white as, fill us with your Holy Spirit to be able to walk out these things. God, we want to reflect you. We want to be like you. We want to be used of you. And we need you to be able to do that. Please be our hedge of protection behind and before. Hedge us on the left and the right. Surround us with your presence. Father, we want to do things your way. We yield to you this morning. And we say, God, use us for your glory. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. Amen.